0: Well, well, well. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Friday morning. End of the week. It's exciting, isn't it, to hit Friday morning and uh, to realize you've made it through yet one more week? It's it's a great thing. So, um, we are in the book of Luke, chapter 7, and going to be considering how Jesus responds to humility. Uh, we see. We're, we're going to read the story here. We'll see the account. Uh, I want to use the word "account," not just story, because story indicates it's just a fable. This isn't a fable. This this actually really happened, and uh, the things that we're reading about actually really happened. It, it isn't that the, these stories of Jesus are just nice, cutesy little stories. Not at all. These are historical occurrences that happened in people's lives things uh, that might uh, exemplify what could happen in your life as well as you trust in Jesus. So let's jump right into it here uh, on this cold, cold, main morning. It says, when Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself. For I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I do not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and uh, turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Capernaum. Capernaum, a fishing town on the uh, kind of northwest shore of... Uh, northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, really, really northern shore, but it's kind of more on the western side of the northern shore. Uh, and this is where Peter lived. Uh, this this is the home of many of the fishermen, this, this town of uh, most people that I have read would say this is a small town of about 1,500 people. So nowhere near the size of the town of Belfast, Maine uh combine maybe Belmont and and Morrill together where many of us live here in Maine. And you might come up with a number of people who are uh who would make up the, the area of Capernaum. Capernaum had a couple of different synagogues. Uh again, it was a fishing village, literally right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And uh it had the Centurion. this was the military, this would be like the police, these would be the, the, the public servants, if you will, in that way really they were servants of, uh, of the emperor, service of uh, servants of the local governor. but they maintain law and order. the, the Centurions maintain law and order in the region. So we know it wasn't a huge area. But yet it was it was large enough that uh, this centurion was sent there uh, to, to maintain law and order. And it tells us in the text that he had a servant who was sick and about to die. I mean, this, this servant was on the edge of death. We don't know what type of sickness this was. We don't know what type of illness it was. But what we do know is the text tells us that he was nearing death we also know from the text that uh the centurion valued this servant very highly maybe this servant was a confidant uh, maybe this servant was was a person who brought enough jovialness if that's a word is now uh into the home to to lighten the heart of the centurion uh, maybe he was the type of centurion that knew just absolutely exactly what the um the type of servant that knew exactly what the centurion needed uh, and was always a step ahead. We, we don't know. All we know is that, that the master highly valued this sick uh, the sick servant. And it says in verse 3 that when the centurion heard of Jesus or maybe heard that Jesus was back in the area, uh, and maybe this centurion lived not that far from the home of Peter, but, but he heard what was going on with Jesus. It says he sent some of the elders of the Jews to him, asking them to come and heal servant. Now, perhaps some of the elders of the Jews hadn't yet become hardened to Jesus in this region. They knew that, that Jesus was religious. Uh, or they, they were religious. They knew that, that, that Jesus was a spiritual man. They knew that Jesus was one who uh, had become known for the healings that he was doing, uh, and because Jesus was Jewish, they would send the Jewish leaders, elders from the town, from the synagogue, which is really only a stone, uh, stone's throw from uh, where Peter lived. I mean, really, it was—I remember correctly—you know, like fifty yards away. It wasn't very far way at all. And so they were sent and they asked Jesus to come heal the servant. And It says this in the text in verse four, it says that when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Now, these are the Jewish leaders speaking to Jesus about the centurion obviously the centurion has or apparently the the centurion has invested heavily in the building of the synagogue uh, when they say he loves our nation it isn't that he loves the roman nation but they're saying that, that this roman centurion loves the jewish people he loves us he he built our synagogue he is uh, he has an alliance with us he has a heart for us he is uh, the one who uh, is looking out for the best interest of the Jewish people—that's that, when they're talking about our nation. He's not; they're, they're not talking about his love for the Roman dynasty. They're talking about his love for the Jewish people, as is made uh, evident by his investment in the building in the synagogue, verse six. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent some friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself. For, and this is the key. I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Now, one could say, yeah, but he was bold enough to send people to Jesus. Doesn't that count for something that, that he would actually send for Jesus and, and not, not go himself? What does that tell us? Well, yeah, you know, I, I think that he was there caring for. He was at the side of this servant whom he thought was on the edge of death and wasn't about to leave him. And so he was reaching, uh, he sent the, the Jewish leaders to reach out to Jesus, to bring Jesus. And as Jesus is not that far from the house, he says, look, I, I don't even deserve to have Jesus come to my house. You know, sometimes we get kind of bossy with God, and we say, God, you have to do this for me, not this man. He didn't get bossy. He 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 humbled himself. He demonstrated humility and said, "Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof." That is why I did not consider myself worthy to come to you. But if you say the word, my servant will be healed. Now, now we see humility mixed with faith. He is humble. Uh, and he is full of faith because he says, as I've just read in verse 7, if you say the word, my servant will be healed. Do we live with this type of humility? Do we live with this type of faith? Do we live with this type of humble faith? Lord, I don't deserve this, but if you want to do this, I know that you can do this. And this is exactly where this man is coming from a humble heart, but a heart that's also full of faith that says, I, I believe you can do whatever you want to do, Lord, and if you want to heal this man, you can heal this man. You don't even have to come here. You can just say it, and it will happen. Then he gets into verse 8, and he says, For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, now what's he saying? He's saying this, that the illness itself would be under the authority of Jesus. That's what he's saying. Uh, and you know, for some of us we think, well, that that's only uh you know, that, that's Pentecostal talk. No. This is faith talk. Why must we always delineate things and put things in camps uh in denominations? that really belong to all of God's people. We also you may be a pentecostal. Praise God for that. You may not be a pentecostal. Praise God for that. But all of us regardless of of our background with the, the those supernatural workings of God and miracles and things of that nature All of us need to realize that all things come under the authority of Jesus. Whatever he says will be. Uh, Rocks are under his command. The heavens are under his command. The seas are under his command. The forests are under his command. The winds are under his command. The ways of the nations are under his command. So if all things that large can be under his command, then so can the illness be under his command. Now, the man didn't say, you have to do this. Sometimes in our prayers, it's like we demand things of God. I think we need to approach God with humility and say, God, we're not worthy to have you do this for for us, but if you would, you can, and we believe that you can, say the word. And so we look for this word, and sometimes we try to make ourselves like Jesus and and proclaim an authority that that actually isn't ours. It's God's authority, not our authority, where we think we can tell illness to leave. Now, I think there's a certain measure of us in our prayers telling the illness to go away. Uh, I think there's a certain measure in our prayers, uh, and that's based on the authority of Jesus, not any of our authority. I think based on the authority of Jesus telling demons to flee, we had a very interesting uh, D group last night, discipleship, a disciple making group last night. And we talked about, you know, the role of uh, the demonic in in things like mental, emotional health. We label everything as mental, emotional. Sometimes we, we label it as chemical and I'm not talking drugs like people taking drugs, but, but, you know, a chemical imbalance in one's body that, Causes anxiety and things of that nature. Could it not also be that uh, there are demonic forces at work? Yes, I, I believe there could be. But yet, we also need in with an awareness that the authority that we think we may have over the demonic mm-hmm. is authority rooted in right relationship with Jesus and stemming from Jesus Himself, not our own authority. So down in verse 8, when he says, I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me, I tell this one, go, and he goes, that one come when he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. He is saying to Jesus, I believe that, that, uh, uh, that you have authority to tell this illness to leave, and it will leave. Now let me move the text down. It says, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed to him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such faith great even in Israel. I mean, the centurion likely was not Jewish. The centurion likely uh, was Roman. Probably not Jewish, but yet demonstrating faith in Jesus, faith in God, faith in what God can do, faith in in Jesus' abilities, and so much so that Jesus says, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been, uh, who had been sent returned to the house, and guess what? They found the servant well. What about us? What about us in, in our circumstances? What about us in our situation? What do we need to see? God do? Are we willing to trust God? Are we willing to look to God to do phenomenal things uh, in our lives? It requires humility. It requires surrender. It requires the acknowledgement of what Jesus can do. It, it, it requires, I believe, an acknowledgement of humility at our part. The Lord, I, I don't deserve you to do this. But nonetheless, I ask Uh. So this was the approach that this man took. We come humbly before God and, and say, God, I don't deserve this, but if you, if you would, we know you can. Would you please? And, and to come with it, and, and that's faith. That's, that's the type of faith this man demonstrated. But what would we become people of faith? People of faith that maybe exceed the people of faith around us. And it's not a competition. I was thinking about this this morning earlier in my time reading in the in the Psalms. Uh, you know, would I be a person of praise when, when other people I may not be a person people of praise? You know, I I do listen to a fair amount of podcasts and things like that. I drive a lot. I was on the road yesterday for oh almost four hours, and uh, some days it's more than that. Some days it's less than that. But this morning, my heart was stirred with hmm. You know, in fact, the last few days, actually, my heart's been stirred. Why don't I find a Spotify channel that has a bunch of hymns? Now, I I like contemporary music, don't get me wrong, but hymns that I would know that I could sing with gusto, sing my heart out with and and worship God. You know, that, that he is worthy of that type of praise, that he is worthy of that type of honor, that he is worthy of that type of trust, and that we would simply trust him in that kind of a way. Now, let's go into another person's uh, encounter with Jesus and see what happens. This is a widow. Soon after the the healing of the servant, it says Jesus went to a town called Nain. Now, Nain is about 32, 33 miles uh, southwest uh, of Capernaum, a little bit more inland, so the town of Nain, and it's spelled Nain here, yet if you look on the map, uh, contemporary map, it's N-E-I-N, Nain. But he says, Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples, and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother. She was a widow. A large crowd, a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, His heart went out to her, and He said, "Don't cry." Now, yeah, tell a mama who's just lost her son, "Don't cry," and we'll pray about that here at the end of a broadcast. Yeah, right. Don't cry. But why does He tell her, "Don't cry"? Uh, she could say, what do you mean, don't cry. My son is dead." Well, what does Jesus do? He went touched the coffin, and those carry it stood still. He went up, laid his hand on it, like, let's just pause for a moment. It says, he said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. Jesus gave him back to his mother, and they were filled with awe and praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us. They said, God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Now, Judea would be that that whole uh, region, really down to the south, Nain and south would be Judea, or it could be also interpreted that just the region around them heard about this and news spread. Jesus felt compassion. Jesus demonstrated compassion. Jesus healed this son of this mother. And um, if he can do that, what would he do for you? Now, he didn't go around doing that for everybody. Uh, in fact, this says nothing about the woman having faith. Uh, this, nothing at all about her having faith. It just says that Jesus went up and did this. Could it be that Jesus would just simply go and do the things that Jesus is going to do? So that, he, and in this instance, he is substantiating that he is in fact savior. He is substantiating that, that by his power that he, in fact, is is the promised one. Uh this occurrence, this raising of the dead, establishes his greatness and that he is someone to be reckoned with. He is someone to be listened to. He is someone to be followed. I love what it says down in verse 16. Let me get that verse up kind of center screen a little bit more here. It says in verse 16, they were all filled with awe and praise God. He said, God has come to help his people. What is the help that you need today? Do you need help? Do you need encouragement? What is your situation? We've just read about one person's humble faith uh, and another person whom Jesus just simply decided. She didn't come to Jesus and say, raise my son. None of those things. He stepped in and worked. Would we be people who are looking for the works of God? Would we be people who are humble? Would we be people who are people of faith? Would we be people who are surrendered to the sovereignty of God and what God can do? You know, what do we need to see God do? Uh, Here's an example. Uh, In the last week. Uh, we sent out nearly 400 uh, invitation cards to 400 churches, almost 400, not quite shy of 400 churches, and uh, inviting them to a pastor's event, which is February 2nd. Now, we we sent this invitation out back in early December, so it isn't like we're waiting till the last minute, but th- this is a card going out. You know, Christmas hits, December hits, it's a busy time, things get forgotten, so we've you know, we've we've posted things publicly and sent out emails and sent out a postcard, but to pray over these postcards, and I wasn't just praying over these postcards for uh, all the pastors of all these churches. In fact, many of these churches probably don't have pastors. I was praying that yes, a good number of them would come to the event for the encouragement of pastors, and uh, uh, it's something that we're doing uh, that uh, just to bless pastors we've done this twice now this will be the third one and we've probably ministered to about 150 pastors uh over over the time and uh, our prayer is that, that we would be able to minister to more pastors to encourage them to strengthen their churches to strengthen their ministry but but as i was sending out these cards and and, and doing the work our our office uh administrator is uh, days away from going on maternity leave and trying to button up a lot of things, so this is not something that we had her doing uh, in this occasion. But I was also praying, Lord, who might get this that needs encouragement to go to Bible college? Lord, who might get this who uh, would, would say, hey, our church ought to be supporting New England Bible College and seminary? Uh, I was praying and saying, you know, maybe someone will get this, and a and business person would say, hey, I want to come alongside the school. Hey, Or a business person, even though this was going to churches, maybe some business person gets a hold of this and says, hey, I want to underwrite that event. And the last two times we've had business people underwrite the events for the pastors, it's been wonderful to see that happen. Praying for partnerships, praying for growth. And I was just praying for all the, th- the various mailings going out and, and to think about, you know, to stop, to lay hands on, to pray about what God would do, that that's that's what faith is. Now, that's me talking about an organiza- a Christian organization reaching out to other Christian organizations. You know, it, it could be with you at, at work and something you need to see happen at work. It could be something with you and your kids or your grandkids, something you need to see God do there. It could be... uh uh, it, it could be a contract uh, that, that you're waiting on, and uh, you're praying about that contract to, to come to fruition, and uh, and it does. So many things for which we can pray and should pray and um, to learn to be people of faith, people who come to God with, with our request, make our request known to him in humility and say, God, if you if you would, you can, and we'll ask you to. What do you need today? How could God work on your behalf today? How did he work on this centurion's behalf? How did he work on this mother's behalf? Now, I, I want to close out this morning just, just mentioning, you know, people who have lost. Last night in our discipleship group, we had two mothers, one who many, many years ago lost a child. Uh, another one who not that long ago uh, lost a child in uh prior childbirth uh, a year ago lost well, maybe longer than a year ago a year and a half ago maybe lost a child to uh, prior to childbirth uh, and so there was the the sharing and the, the the compassion and the healing and the prayers and the tears and all those things um so a minister right just was reading to one of our beloved ones uh, from our church family who lost a son was it 20 years ago am I thinking back right uh at this very time of year, you know, and so our hearts go out to them, we have hearts of compassion for them. I mean they might hear this and go, "Okay, Jesus did that for them. why couldn't have Jesus done that for me?" So to be sensitive to that, be prayerful to pray, pray for people with cancer you know we we've mentioned our dear friend Todd uh, I mentioned another dear lady who used to be part of our church named Jamie uh, who has uh, breast cancer and she's been fighting that fight another Uh, a mom from our church named Olivia. You know, there are many things going through, many people going through many things. Judy, uh, a woman named Judy who recently lost her husband. So many things for which we can demonstrate our own prayerful compassion and love. So Father, help us today to have the type of faith and the humility of the centurion. Lord, we stand ready today to receive whatever blessing you might want to give us, even like you blessed this mother in raising her son to life, Lord, we know if you are willing, you can. So we acknowledge our needs before you. Whatever my friends who are listening may need today, we, we, uh, we look to you. And we pray, we mingle our faith with their faith and ask you to work on their behalf. Lord, hear our prayer today, our prayers of humble faith as we lift them to you, in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, have a good weekend. See you next week.